Hey everybody, Jonathan here. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up before this special episode of the podcast. Number one, we're using different microphones, so I apologize if the audio is a little different than what you're used to. We're just using them because we're traveling on the road. Number two, Uh, this podcast is recorded outside, so I apologize if there's some different audio there. Number three, uh, this is a special episode, but a normal episode of the podcast is upcoming this week. So you'll get two for one to make up for missing last week. And finally, Keegan Swenson, our guest, uh, who rides for Cannondale three rocks, our guest on this podcast, we talk about how to prepare for park city point to point or just endurance mountain bike racing in general, which everybody should put that race on their radar, by the way. But anyways, he wanted to make one thing clear that he didn't mention, and that's that he does not need to do a six-hour race or six-hour training ride to do a six-hour race. So we were talking about how to prepare, and that's something that I've always tried to hit home as well. You do not need to practice or train for the same duration that you'll face on race day. You'll be amazed at what your body can do, what you can do for one hour. Uh, you can do for three, heck, even up to five hours. You'll be surprised. So anyways, uh, that's all. Uh, let's get straight into this special episode of the podcast. everybody welcome to a special episode of the mountain bike podcast i'm your host jonathan lee and steven is not with us today he is across the nevada desert i'm in park city utah with a special and returning guest keegan swenson how's it going man good how are you guys going well we're uh we're in your parents backyard here in park city utah uh and we're it's early in the morning on a sunday and yesterday, we, there was a pretty epic race, the Park City Point to Point. Uh, both of us raced it. Uh, we'll talk about me at some other point, but uh, we're here to focus on on your performance uh, to get the drama out of the way. How did it go? Yeah, I was able to defend my number one plate, so yeah. pretty excited about that. Nice. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, lay out the the basic 411 on this race. What What's the, the data behind it, and what is it? Well, it's essentially, it's point to point, so you start at one 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 side of Park City and on the other um, via 76 miles of basically all single track. There's a few short dirt roads and two track bits, but yeah, pretty much all single track. And it's got about 15,000 feet of climbing, I think. Yeah. So it's it's a load. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty tough, and and point to point makes it sound like it's just it's just straight point to point, and uh, it's about the most roundabout way you could make a point to point. It starts at one end in the Round Valley area, mm-hmm. and then it works its way up. Basically, like if you were to see a hill or a mountain in your path at any point, this this race summits that, and then it drops down, then it summits yep. the next, then it drops down, then it summits the next. And it continues to do that around the whole kind of crown, you could say, of Park City. It kind of follows that that circular path that the mountains do and the, mm-hmm. the ski resorts in that region. And average elevation, I think, is somewhere around seven. Probably around seventy five hundred, because the Mid Mountain yeah. Trail sits at eight thousand. You spend a lot of time going above it and a lot of time below it. Right. And Park City itself is about sixty eight hundred. So, uh, you know, so we're gonna get into this race. How? Because I think that more people should do this race. Um, there are a lot of people doing it, but I see so many people doing Leadville. And don't get me wrong, Leadville has its mystique. I get it, but uh, I feel like more people should be doing this race. Like if you're a mountain biker. This is way more enjoyable. Oh, yeah, than it's, a, it's like a mountain that. biker's race. It it's really a, is. It's all a single track. You can't fake any skills or fitness or. I mean, we got. Uh, if you weren't a descender, 
it even got exposed on, you know, fairly non-technical or really non-technical trail in the very beginning, the Round Valley area, but it got exposed right there too. Like if you're just a fire road rider, uh, you aren't going to be as successful at this race as you would mm-hmm. at others. Uh, people were already starting to bunch up and they had to pull over to let people through and which by the way, everyone was very good with, which was awesome. Uh, but this race is, is extremely unique and I think that more races like it should exist. And I also think, uh, Jay Burke and the rest that organize this, they do a fantastic job because yesterday's organization and course marking was, was the best I've actually dealt with. Agreed. Yeah. So, they do an awesome job. I got lost. I missed one or two turns, but right. that was my own fault. <laughs> yeah. my when head you're down. head down. Yeah. Not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. Uh, so we're going to go through the things that you uh, can do to prepare for this race. It will relate to other races. So if you've ever wanted to do a long mountain bike race, even this could even apply to something like Downeyville. Um, Downeyville, Leadville, mm-hmm. basically anything that's long right. or technical. or An boat. epic rides race mm-hmm. is a good example. Or if you just have a long or single track race. Um, this will definitely apply to it. So we'll go through how we prepared and, and then how, well, how you prepared and how you executed because you are a good example. Uh, I'm, not, I'm a bad example in this case, but we'll go over all of that. Uh, some things really quick that, um, that I, I feel like we should share too. This race is not crazy expensive like other races to sign up for. Um, it doesn't have a massive entry fee or anything else like that. It doesn't have a huge qualification process. You can just sign up. You just got to sign up quick. You do, because it fills up quick. <laughs> fills up fast. <laughs> but there's no, like, you know, you don't have to pay, uh, you know, to buy into a lottery like Leadville. Uh, you know, there's there's no other complications like that. You don't need a USAC license to race this race. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, the barrier of entry is pretty low. You also have Park City, so there's just a massive amount of lodging in this area. Like, uh, this race is is fairly big, and it's nowhere near uh, causing any type of, uh, of a vacancy crisis here. So, And Salt Lake City Airport's 30 minutes away, yep. so it's easy to get to. Really close. Great food, uh, great everything else. So uh, let's get into first things first. Let's talk about how you train for a race like this. When I say a race like this, I mean an endurance mountain bike race what how does your training differ from what you're doing when you're just training for normal cross-country racing well i guess for me like over the course of the season i train for cross-country races mm-hmm. um and also you know, i'll do some epic rides and some of the longer events as well um but then when i found out when i decided i was going to do this race about three three and a half weeks ago or so um i kind of changed my training quite a bit then mm-hmm. um i just started doing some longer rides um and just to kind of get the feel for sitting on the mountain bike for a long time. Because in the end, there's not a whole lot you can do with three weeks. Yeah. Other than like, like I, I got some volume in and tried to get used to just get my, get my hands ready for it, my feet, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's, honestly, that's one of the first things that go in this race. Mm-hmm. Good, a race like this where it's so long and rough is like, you can go out on the road bike and ride for six hours all day. But it's just like, it's not going to prepare you for this race at all. You have to be able to, you know, have your hands be ready and your feet and just be like strong. You can't be just... <laughs> Roadie fit, you yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, you know, yeah. something you mentioned too, like that three-week period, you can do some stuff, but it's certainly not like you can actually yeah, get it's... from, it's not like couch to, to finish, no. you know? Um, you're more sharpening a blade than already exists. Exactly. You just kind of, for me, it was like instead of honing the cross-country racing legs, you're kind of just honing the long-distance racing. It's like 
kind of sharpening the blade a little bit for that as opposed to the other way around. Right. Basically just sharpening it in a different direction, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And that's, so longer days on the bike, did you do anything as far as like off the bike to prepare for something like this? Cause I noticed yesterday, a lot of people, even at the first aid station, uh, which were, and they were, they were just complaining about, you know, back pain and mm -hmm. neck pain and shoulder pain and everything else. I wouldn't say did anything specific off the bike to train for this race. It's just like my general strength. I just, mm -hmm. I mean, I do, um, you know, I would do like kind of do strength training year round um, yeah. and as well as core and grip strength and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I think all that, you know, plays a part in mountain bike racing, no matter what kind of racing you're doing, whether it's cross country, enduro, endurance, doesn't matter. Right. You need to be strong regardless. Right. Um, so that didn't change for this race. It was just the same program. In fact, I actually did a touch less going the week before this race, just because mm. I wanted to be hundred percent rested. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want any fatigue, but I did do the usual program leading up to it. So, I mean, which makes sense. You, you ended up, I mean, it's a good thing. If you look back at all the small things you could have done to rest or to do anything else, you won by like a you won by less than a bike length. It was a sprint yeah. finish. So yeah. you think back to like all those marginal gains that could have affected your sprint in the end or affected mm -hmm. you at another point. And it makes you think like, man, I'm glad I did all those little things. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, that's smart. Um, so let's get into how you prepared your bike for something like this mm -hmm. is it, and how it might be different than a normal XC race. Ah, uh, man, my bike setup doesn't really change that much. Mm -hmm. Um, basically the same all year round. The only thing that changes is really tires. Okay. Um, this race, I actually decided to run a little bit softer grips than I normally do, which I'm glad I did. Yeah, and I know, which ones were they? Uh, they're the fabric, um, like silicone grip. Yeah. Um, I normally run a higher density, like a thinner, like just thin rubber grip. Yeah. Um, and this time I decided to go for that little thicker, little, like more, uh, I don't know, what would you say, bigger diameter? Right. As well as more padding. Yeah. So it spreads the load out over your hands a little more. Do you think you'll run those now that you've ran them with this race, do you think you'll run them in other races now? I think so. I mean, I've, yeah. I kinda, I've used them in the past before. Okay, yeah. And uh, I liked them, so I decided I'd put them on again for this race, and yeah, they were good. What about tire choice? Um, tires, it's kind of, I mean, that's obviously individual. For me, I like... As we know, you're a tire nerd yeah. from the past episode when you were on the Mountain exactly. Bike Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I debated a long time which tires to run. <laughs> so, because there's like, you know, there's... There's there's weight, there's rolling resistance, you need puncture resistance. I um, you do need puncture resistance on this. There's a lot of like lot broken of shale up rock. shale. Like, people think of Park City, it's all they think it's all mellow, like flowy single track, but there's that. But there's also a lot of sharp shale rock, and then there's some descents where you're going really fast, and there's like a few little rock bands that you can flat on pretty easily. Right. Um, which, which end, sorry to interrupt, but which we saw uh, that ended up happening to Jeff Kabush, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it can happen yeah. to anyone. It's just like yeah, just gotta be careful. Yeah. Um, so I decided to run a 2.2 XO Aspen in the front and a uh, 2.25 uh, XO, oh, sorry, XO Icon in the front, XO Aspen in the rear. Awesome. Just because I think the Icon has a touch taller knobs and the dirt was so loose that I was thinking the, the Icon might bite a little better on the loose dirt. Yeah. And the Aspen would still roll fast. And they're both, they're similar in weight. So. Okay. And did you find that you, that choice of going with the taller knob up front paying off it, it did i think you feel so at times I, mean, I think the aspen would have been a good choice as well yeah. um but i wasn't i wasn't displeased with my choice at all i think it worked great so 
for those that don't know, EXO, that's a, that's a reinforced sidewall from Maxxis. So that's most tire brands have a reinforced sidewall option, mm -hmm. and EXO is theirs. They also have their um, double down or their Yeah, which I don't think is necessary. It's, no. That would add a bunch of weight, and you're, yeah. you're carrying that over 15,000 feet, so you don't yeah. want that. No, it's no. It's a fine line between too much weight and not enough. And yeah. the EXO casing only adds, depending on the size of the tire, it only adds like 40 to 60 grams. So I think it's worth, I mean, that's only about two gels. So yeah, exactly. that's worth worth every every gram. Yeah, it really is. It adds a lot of protection. Also, when you do switch, if you switch from something that doesn't have sidewall protection to something that does, you will need to re-experiment with like uh, tire pressures. Yeah, you generally, generally pound or two kind of depends on mm -hmm. you and where you're riding, what you're doing. But it's yeah, definitely. You a have more bit. stout sidewall now, so mm -hmm. that means the tire will be less supple, and it also means that the tire will have less resistant, or it'll have more resistance to folding or rolling on you, which is usually a good thing too. So mm -hmm. I just want to play with that. Um, anything else that you did and on the bike, like accessories or things that you carried with you that you might not normally carry? Well, obviously I carried a tube, um, some couple CO2s, some tire plugs, mm -hmm. um, a multi-tool with a chain breaker, a master link, um, all that stuff I normally don't really race with epic rides. I race with that stuff and that whatnot. But, right. um, and then I also raced the scalpel has two bottle cages. Nice. So I had two bottle cages on, which I didn't use all the time, but there was a few times where it was nice to like put a bottle with whatever else in one and then you want water in the other. So just nice to have the option of two. Yeah. And then the other thing I use, which I normally actually I really hardly ever use is a camelback. Okay. So I use one called the, uh, the ultra pro and it's actually a, a running pack and it's really light and nice. Like as I, I use that for the first couple hours and then ditched it in the first feed zone and uh -huh. so just because the course is so twisty and tight here that a camelback is really helpful because you can put the, the thing in your mouth and just drink and not yeah. worry about what's coming when it gets technical and you can just drop it so right let's let's actually um jump ahead a bit and cover that your the feed strategy um mm -hmm. how many feed zones were uh, occurred along the 76 mile route well there's i think technically there's three yeah. official aids right but you're allowed to feed anywhere on course yeah so a lot of the pro men have uh we have like you know multiple feeds throughout the entire course mm -hmm. i think man my parents helped feed me and i think there was i probably had a total of five aid stations yeah um them in places that were easy to get to and um, you weren't and as you know you pros you weren't stopping you were just grabbing no i mean none through. of the pros even in the aid stations they just you just grab bottles and keep going because anytime you stop, you're wasting you waste 30 seconds to a minute, which you have to make up at some point. And just you you stop and you can risk cramping. It's just like it's nice to just keep it rolling. Yep. Um, and the benefit of having lots of aid stations is um, you're not carrying all that weight with you. So mm -hmm. instead of having to carry two bottles all the time, you're just carrying one bottle or one pack. Yeah. So that adds making the bottles about a pound and a half. So it all adds up. And and not to mention it's the time getting fresh, cool drink mix. Yeah. So. So you would, uh, you, so you dropped your Camelback at some point. Uh, how did you decide when to use a Camelback and then when to not use a Camelback? I just think, um, I guess my decision was based on temperature okay, and the course profile and whatnot. So the mm. first part of the course is really twisty. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also a little faster. Right. Um, and generally the group stays together a little more. So I decided I'd want to use a Camelback for the first bit. That's yeah. also the temperature was cooler, so it doesn't, it doesn't having hail back didn't, didn't doesn't bother me at all. And um, that's because you don't want to have to deal with pulling a bottle out and then putting a bottle yeah, back in and potentially exactly. dropping that bottle. Yeah, dropping that bottle or just like catching your bar on a tr on a stick or whatever. Right. So the Camelback was pretty helpful that first bit, and then once it was near empty, and I just dropped it at the first aid, the first main aid station, which is about two ten in for us. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. 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 So. I think I got there at like two hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> That's not great. Um, so you also, I guess to, to hit one point home too, you're not carrying a massive reservoir. No, the right? reservoir in that small pack, it's only 1.5 liters. So it's yeah. essentially like a bottle and a half or so. Right. Um, and I did ran, I did run the goo Roctane drink mix in it, okay. which is a pretty stout drink mix. It yeah. has, has about 250 calories if you run the full, full serving. Gotcha. So it's, which is good cause it's hard to eat a bunch when you're on the bike. So you want to kind of like, you want to get as many calories as possible. And I was shooting for three to 400 calories an hour, right? which is a lot. Yeah. Um, how so, did you get that? What did you eat to get in all that? Yeah. So I guess, um, the whole thing, I just ate j- goo, okay. um, and then I ate the goo chomps okay, or chews and then the Roctane mix. Okay. Um, so I was trying to get a, bo- a bottle, a little extra here and there an hour um, along with a pack or two of chews and just calories <laughs> from lot. all angles. And it's not just like you're drinking water and then you're eating food, but no, you're trying to get you're calories. Only, if you're only drinking water, you're not getting the electrolytes, first yeah. of all. And then if you're drinking, you might as well be getting calories too. Yeah. Because you're taking that time to drink and then it's like two for one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's hard to eat. Yeah. You need to pull something out of your pocket, then you just get sick of it too. You're like, I don't want to choke this down. Like this is like right. this is my, my fifth <laughs> packet of chews. I'm yeah, kinda yeah. over this. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's delicious as they are, it all gets old. Then your stomach starts to get all oh, like, yeah. twisted and you well, just like you're not in your right frame of mind when you're riding either. Uh you're pretty, you know, like when no. you're deep into a race like this, uh you, you get fussy, I guess. The yeah. body gets fussy and it wants what it wants. So it's- Yeah, and, exactly. And it wants change usually. So yeah. uh, how do you, I guess one of the thing that I I hear a lot of people say is I want some water and I want mixed because sometimes I just need water. Mm-hmm. And I understand that too, but yeah. is, is, is that, did you carry water with you or is that something that you've just gotten um, over? Yeah, I mean, for me, I like I've done that in the past. It's nice to grab some plain water, but this year I decided just to go 100% drink mix yeah. just from a, functional standpoint yeah i mean it is water so it's like i know water tastes good sometimes but it's like i think it's you know you get the most bang for your buck out of having calories and electrolytes and whatnot in your water yeah makes sense um so i just went that route this year nice so let's step backward a bit how did you prepare for this race in terms of nutrition um is this something like in your training where you like tested these things out or did you already know from using them for so long that these things worked with your body i mean i like that's what I've always. That's why I always use. I generally only race with goos. I don't really use the goo chews very often, gotcha. just because they're not quite as quick. But in this race, like the problem with goos is like you don't want to litter your wrapper, so yeah. they're kind of it's harder to get all of it out mm-hmm. um, and then put it in your pocket without dropping it. Right. So I kind of like the chews for these longer events. You're not going quite as hard. Makes I sense. did use one goo flask and I put three gels in there. Okay, that's smart. So then I mixed it just a little bit of Coke to kind of water it down so it was a little thinner. And I drank that for the first like hour and a half. Nice. So that way you get, I mean, there's, that was about 320 calories or something in one, that one little flask. And you just kind of could sip on that and then you take smart. a sip, close it, put it back in your pocket. Don't worry about littering. Cause it's like you are out in the mountains. You don't want to be throwing your trash all over the ground. Right. So that's smart. Um, so what about the day before? How did you change up from what you would normally be eating for dinner or lunch or anything else? Um, it's fairly standard. I guess I, you know, I always, before races, I try to try and eat more carbs. Yep. Especially before a long race like this, you want to make sure your glycogen is fully topped right. off. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I eat less vegetables just because they're so fibrous and still eat a little bit. Right. Know, but like, just not a huge, don't eat a huge salad, I guess, is okay. my takeaway. And of course, hydrate. What'd you do for breakfast so, in the morning? Uh, breakfast, 
um, bunch of pancakes. You use the birch bender stuff, right? Yeah, 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 that's my favorite. It's awesome. Yeah, that's really so, good pancake chocolate mix. chip. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea to Might do as well. Race. Yeah, fill it up. <laughs> Did you uh, do you try to space that out in between the time when you eat and then when you start? Uh, normally, I like to eat about two and a half to three hours before yeah. for a cross country race. But the race this long, it starts off fairly mellow, and yeah. you do have a long race, so. I just, I want to, and also I want to sleep in a little more. I can right. start at 7 a.m. Uh, so I woke up at around 5 and just ate breakfast right when I woke up, and it was fine. I mean, I had no stomach issues or anything. And pancakes digest fairly easily. You, right. You want to try and avoid, like, any really heavy grains, like raw grains. You, don't want to, you wouldn't want to eat a bunch of, like, like undercooked ones. oats or yeah. whole wheat pancakes. You kind of want to go for a little more, a little simpler. Yeah. Okay. So. That makes sense. Uh, so one thing actually I want to cover is you run togs and it's the mm-hmm. thumb over grip system is yeah. what it's called. Uh, and there are these little tabs that stick upward from your handlebars and they are just on the inside of your grips. Mm-hmm. And you actually talked me into trying these things and I love them. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with them now. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're pretty awesome. I think, Yeah. like, especially for the longer events where there's long, steady climbs. Cause it's like, you want to change your hand position as much as possible. You just get, your hands get sore and like, yeah. And then if you just have your thumbs instead of, with, you don't have the togs, you see, and I end up riding there anyway. And then you mm-hmm. risk having your hands fall off the front. Which you basically, so, that's like, if you like picture, yeah, it is. Yeah. And if you picture grabbing a grip, like a normal grip and your thumb is on the underside of that grip, a lot of the time, and I know that people listening to this are going to go, yeah, I do that too. You'll, put that thumb from you'll take it from underneath the grip and you'll put it mm-hmm. on top so it's next to your index finger and you'll just kind of rest like your palms like the base of your palm against the grips uh, is for just like a different hand position so that's something that i see a lot of people do and this but the thing that you sacrifice in that position is control mm-hmm. but these little togs they give you that leverage and control yeah, i mean still not you still can't get quite don't get me wrong you wouldn't want to be descending that way no no but for like like kind of a faster single track climb or a dirt road climb or whatever they're really nice to like just change the hand position you still feel somewhat safe and it gives you a little more leverage yeah so you can actually stand with them and kind of pull on them yeah you can i noticed that and it's it's just nice on a long race like this i would consider something if i'm listening to this i would be considering something like that because it really does Mm -hmm. help your wrists and everything else by the end of this race uh or or could be in a situation where you're really hurting so Mm -hmm. just because it's a long time and it's on single track the whole time so i thought that was a cool addition that yeah. you have there. the other thing is for a faster let's say you're doing leadville or a race like that mm-hmm. where you want to like get arrow in some positions yeah they're kind of they are nice because they're a little on the inside of the grips yeah so it brings your shoulders in and you can kind of put your thumbs on them and then get, get your elbows low yeah it helps you feel like you're in a safer position yeah you're still fast if so. you wrap your thumb underneath the grip it puts your elbow out more more naturally mm-hmm. so you have to like do a strange awkward and strength requiring position to kind of bring your elbow in but if you pull put your thumb up it's amazing that difference it just naturally tucks them in yep so it really does yeah. um so pretty sweet little little pro tip there uh so let's get into how you pace this race and we'll use me as the bad example compared to your <laughs> probably better example so uh how is the with the pros how did it start for you guys in terms of pace because we started on relatively easy trail kind mm-hmm. of like a long rollout on on actually like a, a paved bike path and then it turned into a, a two-track road for just a bit and then right into single track but it wasn't that it wasn't technical and it wasn't very steep it was just you know um rolling i guess you would call yeah. it uh, so what was the pace like for you guys when you started um it was fast but comfortable okay um it's kind of hard because you mean 
you, I mean, it's, it, it does, it is a bike race. So mm-hmm. everyone starts fairly fast, yeah. whether they should or not, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, in our case, very fast. Yeah. Is it a lot of, well, I shouldn't say very fast. The pace was relatively easy compared to most cross country races I've done for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was way faster. I felt like than a lot of people's abilities mm-hmm. for a six to 10 hour race. Exactly. So that's the key point. That's the key. Um, yeah. So it's also like, you want to be somewhere near the front, even though it's a long race, it's yeah. like, you don't want to be in 20th place if you're trying to get a top 10 or something, whatever, because right. like this, like there was a lot of dust in there. There's a lot of things that can happen. So you kind of want to stay closer to the front just so you kind of know what's going on in case anyone were to get away or mm-hmm. whatever else. And just try and sit in and not go too hard. Right. Um, I guess that's kind of the key early on is like, cause it's a long race and you have to pace yourself accordingly. Like you obviously you have to kind of respond to what other people are doing, but if they're, you know, sprinting <laughs> right off the start and they're just like, Go, treating like a cross country race, you can just, you know, if they're going to go ahead, that's fine because they're just going to blow up. Because right. there's a long race to go and there's still about 14,000 feet of climbing left once you finish yeah. Round Valley. So I personally found that, um, and this is, I, I didn't actually have my power meter paired to my head unit because I, I borrowed I, your girlfriend, Sophia, was kind enough to lend me her yeah. head unit. Um, and I didn't have time to, to pair it beforehand. But, uh, my legs are pretty well calibrated to know roughly where I'm at in terms of intensity. And, and it was not, I, I was, you know, sweet spot at mm-hmm. highest really, uh, when we were starting out, at least for me with the pack that yeah, I was with. Yeah, ease into it. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd cross over a threshold for just a short little bit, but that mm-hmm. was probably because there was a feature, uh, that was yep. requiring that. Like, a, even though the round Valley is fairly easy, there are some little rollers and some little like, rocks you kind of have to jump over or whatever. So. Yeah, exactly. So it was pretty easy. And I, and I, this is totally foreign for me because I'm used to starting a race. And one thing that a, a, a particular strength that I have in cross country racing is usually starting very hard. I'm usually good at starting really hard and being able to create a separation or go with a separation and then put myself into a good spot and then settle in Mm -hmm. and then carry on. And in this case, it was just such an easy start. It was so foreign for me. It was different. But uh, I felt like it was the wise approach because it was Mm -hmm. a long day. So pacing early on. When did you decide to change that up though in the race? Was it terrain based or was it strategy based just based on mm-hmm. you relative to other people? When did you decide to start turning up the volume a bit in terms of the, or well, I should say turning up the touch back on round ballot, like on the yeah. beginning of the race real quick. I think one thing, this is kind of back to nutrition. Mm. One thing people kind of forget or don't think is necessary is to eat early and drink early. Mm-hmm. Like I know you just ate breakfast mm-hmm. and you probably just had a bunch of drink, bunch of drink mix or water before the start. Yeah. But like I made it my goal to like start eating and drinking early and just like try and like get something down every 20 minutes. Right. Okay. Um, That's smart. I've set a timer on my Garmin before and that kind of helped me, that's helped me get into the rhythm of just doing it and all so the it time. So it just beeps at you every 20 minutes? It beeps every 20 minutes and then smart. say, okay, take a drink. Or if, if you're going downhill and you can't, you're like, okay, I'll drink when I get to a place where I can. Right. It's not like the end of the world, right? Right. Um, but that helps, helps get in the head just in the groove of doing it because I was I mean that was one of my weaknesses um in the past I've done epic rides and whatnot is just not starting early enough because you feel you don't need it right but you need to start getting in your system before you actually need it plus the pace is slower at the beginning so it's easy yeah and it's like, also you might easier. as well drink and eat when you can because you're not going to be able to nor are you going to want to later right so. it's when we say easier we're talking about easier in the sense that it's easier to chomp something down or drink something yeah. but it's also easier on your body to digest it because mm-hmm. it's not putting out as much work so that's a key thing that 
a lot of people forget is the fact that when you are working hard, it's harder for your body to actually digest food too. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, makes sense. That's why a lot of people, you see them front load things with like more like real, like a uh, whole food beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Even early though on. you don't feel you really need it, you still should eat it. And it's also back to nutrition a little more. Mm -hmm. If you're going for, let's say you're, if you're going for the sub eight hour goal and that's like, you want to, you're going to be given her like you don't mm -hmm. necessarily need real food. I think that's kind of a misconception, right? Like you really just need calories. Yep. And like, goo, like goo is the best way to do that. Whether it's through chomps or whether it's through chews, like whatever it is, like you just need the sugar and the calories and the electrolytes. You don't really need any real food. I don't think yeah. hardly any of the pro men ate much real food. I mean, right. I, if you want to eat like a, a small, like energy bar of some sort, or right. if you want like a, a simple, like, peanut butter and jelly that's fine but you don't need very much of it because right. it's just gonna like make your it's just gonna digest slower in your stomach and get in the way essentially Th that's the problem right so. there yeah it can create a bottleneck yeah let's uh something you just mentioned right there uh we should mention this what's a good time for somebody to shoot for for this race uh i guess you, what was your time yesterday do you know 606 six oh, dear me um so 606 <laughs> uh i i was looking at somewhere around an eight hour finish probably with yesterday's pace um, so, uh, that's, and that's, that's slow for me. If you're like a fast cat one racer, uh, the type that is looking to go to national championships, I'm sure that you should be looking somewhere around seven. Mm -hmm. Um, that's about right. yep. And that's where I would have been looking under normal circumstances, but coming in with the recovery from the concussion and stuff yeah, it makes it hard. You know, I, I changed my expectations. It's fair mm -hmm. to say. So, um, but then a lot of people, like, uh, if you're just like a regular mountain biker, uh, and you race every once in a while, I think eight hours would be a solid goal. Eight hours is definitely a solid girl goal. Like um, it would be tough. Yeah. Like, I mean, the pro women come in around, I think seven, seven and a half. Yep. So that's the best I mean, ones. the best one. So like, just if you're just race do a couple races a year and you're fit but you're not extremely fit like eight hours is a really good goal you i think super I mean, that's like that. i yeah. can't remember how many do it that's like that's like one of the things of the race like the sub club sub eight hours nice so that's like a goal for a lot of people so they do sub eight yep and honestly there's like just to finish this race is an awesome achievement in its own right there's a lot right. of people that are out there for 10 12 hours and they're just as stoked and it's pretty awesome like yeah just to finish this beast is an achievement i think it so. even says on the number plate can you do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had yep. to look at that yesterday and say i yeah. couldn't nope <laughs> so, not this time <laughs> not this time uh let's cover that really quick I, I ended up actually pulling out uh just a little under halfway through and it was because the head the head is healed enough from a i got a pretty bad concussion for those that don't know about a month before this and that concussion was in a stage race in canada I was cleared to ride, uh, and also cleared to like, yeah, sure. You can go do that race. Just make sure you watch after yourself. Um, I'd done, uh, two and a half hour rides, uh, since, or a two and a half hour ride, an hour and a half hour ride and another hour and a half hour ride. Cause mm -hmm. that's simply all the time that I have, I've had to be able to ride within the past week. And, uh, three hours was definitely a cutoff point where the head couldn't handle too much more. So it was, it was strange and hard to explain, but I basically, my, my head felt like it was a computer from the nineties trying to run like 1000 programs at once. Like it's rough. It's just slowing down and things were happening a little fast. They didn't feel out of control or anything, but just the, the fatigue and all my brain was tough. And that's also, so concussion aside, that's something that I think a lot of people probably find unique and perhaps unexpected when you ride 75 miles and a good chunk of it is fire road that's one thing when you ride 75 miles and it's almost entirely single track 
that's a lot of uh, small demand on your system, especially the mental processing, mm-hmm. that starts to add up and core and everything else too to stabilize your bike. But it starts to add up and it kind of rises the tide. That's something that you really want to familiarize yourself with and be fresh. So getting a lot of sleep and making sure that your mm-hmm. brain is fresh is another key part. Uh, because Otherwise, you'll you'll wear down and you'll start to make a lot of simple mistakes. Yeah, and there's there's not many races where like I've actually wished for a climb. Right. At the end, at the end of the the long descent from Shadow Lake down to the second main aid. Yeah. I was over it. I wanted to climb. My hands and everything, my feet, everything was just like kind of getting tired. I was like, all right, ready to go uphill so I can rest for the next descent. So that's crazy. This race isn't just about going uphill fast. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. So. No doubt. Um. So I guess uh, let's let's. T- Touch back on one thing we mentioned. Uh, when did you decide to turn the screws and turn the intensity up? Well, it's it's kind of hard because there was a lot of really good competition this year. A lot. Um, so you don't want to like play your cards too early and end up blowing up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of just kind of stayed near the front, and the pace kind of slowly got faster as we went up towards Deer Valley early yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and then after like the first big aid station in Deer Valley. Um, it even got a little bit harder up this climb called Team Big Bear up okay. on the Ontario Loop, the top yeah. of, near the top of Guardsman's. And up there, I know, like, I'm really comfortable on the descent called, it's like, the, it was in the Enduro segment okay. down uh, Corvair and TNGs, it's okay. called. And then you go down Sam's and then um, then you kind of head towards Park City Mountain Resort. Gotcha. So I jumped in the front there and I was able to kind of string it out a little bit on the descent. Nice. So I kind of broke the group up into, I think there was like four or five of us. Okay. And after that, um, there's a long, you go through this really rooty descent and we kind of stayed together there. Um, and then you climb up this fire road for it's maybe, I don't know, it's pretty slow. It's maybe three miles long. Okay. I honestly I have no idea how long it is. Yeah. Long enough. It kind of hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you go up this fire road and then you turn into the steps climb, which I think in my opinion is kind of the, the crux of the race in some okay. ways. Yeah. A lot of people cramp on steps or they have to get off and walk or it's just like, it's really steep okay it's in the sun like i think i use my 50 my eagle nice yes. so it's it's steep <laughs> yeah um so kind of up there i just kind of turned the screws a little bit yeah um kind of rolled up to around like the threshold type pace mm-hmm. and then after that it was just uh jeff kabush todd and myself left okay and we just tried to we just kept it rolling all the way around shadow lake and um Kind of remember that Jeff flatted down cmg yeah which is that um, next really that long really descent. fast long descent yeah and it's like Generally, it's fairly smooth. Yeah. There's a few rock bands that you kind of come into really fast, like yeah. 25, 30 miles an hour. And mm. if you're not careful, or maybe he, there's some dust, like who knows? Like he just, like he just pinched or something. Yeah. Um, and then it was just Todd and I. And okay. then, then it's, yeah. So I'm going to recap. So you didn't want to show your cards too early. You played yeah. conservative. And then once you got to a spot where you felt like you had a relative advantage, it was a descent and you're a good descender. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, that descent yeah. that you made sure you, you did the necessary work to make sure that you were at the front. So then you could, mm-hmm. you could, you know, lay down a card when you had a good hand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then from that point on, it was more about that was like the race was on. And then you guys mm-hmm. just continued to, to exactly. keep the pace high. So uh, so you mentioned gearing, and I know we're bouncing around a bit, but this is definitely a course where I would recommend having a wide range of gears on your bike. Yeah, I mean, you don't, there's really, most of it isn't very steep. It isn't. Um, there's really only that one climb I mentioned, the steps climb, that's mm-hmm. really steep, and like, there's two sections. Um, either I ran a 34 tooth chainring on the front okay. with a 1050 on the back. And you're Superman, so <laughs> how, how much I, do you weigh? Uh, 
about 138, 140 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, the reason that I'm, that I think that wide range gearing is important is for saving your legs early on. Yeah. Like making sure that you have extra gear range than what you think you need mm -hmm. is probably a smart You also idea. don't need a very big gear. Let me you don't. Clear. You're nowhere that fast because right. you're either going uphill or you're coasting down or you're traversing across a twisty single track trail. Yep. So you really don't need, like you could, you'd be fine. Honestly, you could win the race with a 28. It, yep. it really doesn't matter. So. I ran a 30 uh, chain ring on the front. I still had it on from single track six. And to be honest, it was it was probably two steps more than I needed. So if mm -hmm. I had like a 32, I felt like I probably would have been fine with the, oh, with the sure. Eagle. And, uh, and I feel like fine, meaning I would have had extra, like uh, some wiggle room. Uh, I still used all the way down to the 50 in a few spots and it allowed me to just spin up with zero stress. Right. Mm -hmm. Which was really nice. But I think that if you're like a, a fit racer, you could, you know, get away with a 32. Yeah, 30, 32 would be very easy. Good. You also, I mean, my thoughts, you never, I never want to rely on the 50. Yeah. It's like a bailout option. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I plan on just like using everything else. Also the chain line isn't perfect. Right. And I like, it's like, it's a, you know, it's a, as you know, it's a pretty big jump from the 42 to the 50. Yeah. So it's nice to like keep it a little tighter, but it's, if you need it, it's awesome that it's there. So. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that with such a large chain ring in the back, it does put the derailleur really far down. The mm -hmm. derailleur, the, the hanger, I should say, or not the hanger, but um, the, the yeah, the cage down below, it puts it really far down. So the more time you spend in the 50, the more time you're in a potentially vulnerable position to like striking it on a rock or something like mm -hmm. that. So that's another thing to keep in mind. So it may not be, you know, it's nice to have that 50. Yeah. That you don't need to be a hero and ride a 36 or a 38 no. and use a 50 the entire race. Yeah, so you don't have just, to. Because you, you, you don't need the big gear anywhere. So. Yep. And if you picked a 28 for this race, like you said, that, that's perfect. That's yeah, just fine. It's fine. Um, that would be a good, a good choice for the majority of people, I think. So I saw a lot of people wasting their legs early on by like mm -hmm. being, you know, they, they'd have like a, a, a 40 would be their biggest tooth in the rear. And then they'd have like a 30 or 32 and their legs were hurting because they didn't have the fitness to pull that off. So yeah. uh, let's get into... Um, the, the weather that you usually encounter at this race, it's usually pretty warm, right? Yeah. Last year it rained a few days before and it was a touch cooler. Okay. Um, it was more, a little more fall ish weather, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, but it's always been a mix the past, you know, the race has been, I think this is the ninth or 10th edition, I think. Okay. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but there's been years where it's rained. There's been years where it's hot, like this one. Yeah. Um, this one, I think, was exceptionally hot and dry. It was. It was. So that made for a little harder conditions. And yeah, they said yeah. it was going to be like 81 degrees. But looking back at like my Garmin, because that's measuring heat closer to the ground and what you're actually experiencing, it was already up into the mid 80s when mm -hmm. you know around noon or before noon even. Yeah. So we're talking like 10:30, 11. And the last, the last bit of the course, there's a lot of exposure. Yeah. Like you're basically just like south facing right in the sun and you're not moving very fast because it's like shale rock and it's it's pretty uncomfortable yeah it <laughs> so was even hot. even the la very last ascent down to the um the uop the olympic park yeah um it was it's all exposed and even though you're going downhill fairly fast you could feel it get like it got probably 15 degrees warmer throughout the descent and you're like man this is this is hot <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um any particular Features or guidance or spots that you see people take a misstep at this race, especially like um, maybe you see somebody show up for this race or you see hear people talking about this race and it's a common mistake perhaps or something that gets left out by people for this race. Hmm. I think 
I think the biggest mistake is nutrition. Okay. Um, I think that's a huge part of this race. Yeah. Because even if you're not in the best shape, um, and you come into this race slightly, you know, let's say you didn't get as much training as you wanted or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you nail your nutrition, you're going to be better off than someone who trained and doesn't nail the nutrition because you're not going to be able to use all your fitness if you're not on top of your nutrition. That's, right. I think that's the biggest part of this race. And even if you have to stop at the aid stations and fill up your bottles and you're carrying all your stuff, that's fine. It's better to stop and carry and have all the stuff you need than it is to, you know, go three hours without water for one section. Cause I, I heard of some people doing that. It's like, man, you should stop and get water. Cause yeah, you need it's something. more important than, than not. So you're not gonna be able to use any fitness you have if you, you don't have any energy. So. Right. Uh, this, this race is incredible. Um, I, I can't wait to come back and do it next year, uh, with, uh, with a clean bill of health coming in. I think yeah. that's going to be a, it's going to be a highlight of my year next year. So, um, I'll be doing Leadville and a bunch of other stuff next year. Should be fit for it then. And yeah, should be fit for long days, but this one, I'm much more excited about this than, than mm -hmm. I am for, for Leadville. So yeah, it's a fun one. Oh, it's so good. Um, a great race. It's absolutely gorgeous. The views, which by the way, I've never and I'm using air quotes, raced at such an easy pace, uh, you know, coming into something like that. And that was one upside. This course is so gorgeous. Pretty spectacular. It's amazing. Yep. The views are stunning the whole way through. Even some leaves were changing in there too. The, yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was gorgeous. Just beautiful. So, uh, if you appreciate that sort of a thing, riding in a beautiful area, this is definitely it. So, um, outside of that too, there are bike shops everywhere in this town. You can like, if no matter mm -hmm. what you are missing, you can get it here. Uh, they've got them all over the place. You've got, uh, things for the family to do all over the, the, the whole town. Uh, they can ride the chairlifts up and go hiking around, do plenty of things. So, uh, it's just an awesome event. Jay, uh, thank you for putting on such a great event. Yeah. Jay Burke. He's an awesome job. Everything ran super smoothly. It did last year as well. Yeah. So it's, I'm impressed. He has it nailed. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to do this race or if you want to, uh, do any type of endurance race like that, and you have questions, just send them in at mtbpodcast.com. If you have questions about this event specifically, we can get you in touch with the right people, uh, to get the answers that you need, or we may have them already and we can get them to you. Feel free to just shoot us emails and, and, and spitball ideas on equipment or preparation or anything else. Just send them over and, uh, we'll do our best to, to give you some guidance. Uh, thanks, Keegan. I appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Oh, let's cover one quick thing. We should support the companies that support pro athletes like you. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, it, I think that if you're a big like basketball star or something else like that, it's a pretty corny paid endorsement. But these are companies that actually support uh, you guys for what you do and they make solid stuff. So, uh, which companies, which team do you ride for? Which companies? Do you I was for Candle Three Rocks. Okay. Yep. Cool. So we're on uh, Candle Bikes. Stan's wheels, as I mentioned earlier, Max's tires. Mm -hmm. um, Any nutrition so, sponsor? We uh, Goo Energy about. Labs. There's okay. a lot of nutrition. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and they're they're awesome. So yeah. it's definitely my favorite. Cool. So. All right, man. Thanks a bunch. Yeah. Thank you. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.